All right, welcome each of you to this service, especially on behalf of the Schrocks and Weaver families. I uh, welcome you. It's a time of rejoicing and celebration, and our desire is to uh, um, honor the Lord both in the service today and in our lives. And what happens here today is for His glory and for His, His the lifting up of His name. I invite you to uh, stand together. And uh, I'll begin this service with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful and amazed at your love for us and your amazing blessings and provisions that you have given to us and provided for us through Jesus Christ, salvation that we have through him. Thank you for James and Dina and their commitment to each other, for their journey of love up to this point. I ask your blessing on this service and pray that you would be pleased to uh, receive the honor and the glory for all that's said and done. We thank you again for your presence in our lives and your superintending and everything that you that is in our lives. That's a part of our lives and we ask that you would receive glory and praise for this service and for our lives as we go from here. We pray through Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Open your hymn books to number 375. Number 375. Before we could see it coming, God had some really good things planned for James and Dina. We want to use the Lord for our vision today. Number 375.
I can remember my wedding day and some of the fears that I had on that day. Actually, one of my groomsmen came up to me and sort of punched me right in the chest and he said, you need to loosen up a little bit and enjoy this day. But I wanted everything to be perfect for my bride and so I was very nervous and anxious. But beyond that, there's, there was fears that I had about the future. Uh, marriage, I knew, was something of great responsibility, although I knew very little about it, and I was scared. It takes courage to fill a role um, that God designs. And I want to um, give you courage here this morning, James, and maybe a few tools for James and Dina in this short devotional about where to find courage for responsibilities that life brings us, whether it's marriage or anything else. Now, James, when you first flew an airplane, I'm guessing you were a bit nervous and fearful and tentative and pretty conservative and cautious on uh, the maneuvers and um, tricks that you did uh, for fear this whole thing would come crashing down. But with experience came confidence in um, both the aircraft and your ability and um, your experience, and you could uh, fly with a great deal of confidence based on your knowledge of the airplane and, um, and that type of thing. Well, I hope that, um, that I wasn't alone on my wedding day. I hope you're a little bit scared this morning. I think that's, that's good, and I, I could see a little bit of that. Uh, this morning. I think there are a lot of good leaders who choose to be followers because they lack the courage to lead. I think we can, we can safely say that. And, and your role as a husband, James, is that of leadership. And Dina, as well as you start a family, there's leadership responsibilities that, that you will have. And so we want you to have courage to lead and to lead well. So where do we get this courage to lead? I want to look at Joshua chapter 1, and I think I have four reasons or four areas where we can find courage to lead. Courage to lead comes through recognizing God's plan or will. And I want to read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan. Thou and all this people unto the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that marriage is like uh, crossing over and entering the promised land, although there could be some applications made. But what I want us to see that Joshua found courage uh, based on a clear word from the Lord. And that's the same place that you will find your courage uh, to lead your family is based in God's word. I think that Moses, uh, when he was in Egypt, he wanted to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, and he tried to do that on his own strength, and it went horribly wrong. But after he met God, and he had a clear word from the Lord, things went much better as he followed the plan of God. So in our lives, courage to lead comes through recognizing God's plan or his will and hearing his call. The second area that we can find courage to lead comes from resting in God's promises. I'll continue reading from Joshua chapter 1 
in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. We can clearly see in these verses the promises straight from God to Joshua for the children of Israel. And as we meditate and think about the promises that God has in his word, it gives us courage. Regardless of the obstacles, God will clearly make a way for us, just like he did for Joshua. We simply need to act in obedience and in faith to God. The third place that we can find courage is through daily renewal in God's principles. Uh, in verse 7, it says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The principles of God's word are powerful, and they can lead us, and they can change a believer's lives. And it should be what um, the, the principles that we see in God's word should motivate us to a walk with him. But it takes time in God's word and spending time with God to learn the principles of God. The law was not to depart from his mouth. And I think... Um, for us today, there's a lot of distractions that we have in, in all of our lives, but it's important that we focus, that we allow God's word to be uh, in our lives, to be a part of our lives, to make it second nature to us, to the believer. And he was to conduct his life in obedience to the principles of God's word. It's an area where we find courage as we follow in obedience the principles of God's word. The fourth place we can find courage is in relying on God's presence. In verse 9, it says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And the phrase, have not I commanded thee, uh, gives the implication, or we can clearly see where the command was coming from, from the Lord, from Yahweh, which speaks of provision. And it talks about uh, Elohim, which speaks of the presence of the Lord. And so the provision and presence of the Lord in our lives is where we can find courage. Compare the fear the disciples had um, as they experienced um, the, the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, compare that with the boldness that they displayed in Acts 4 after they received the Holy Spirit and Christ's presence with them. It makes a world of difference, and it makes a difference it made a difference in their lives, and it will make a difference in your life as you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and experience the presence of God in your life, you will find courage. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Joshua received courage by recognizing God's plan, by resting in God's promises, by renewal in God's principles, and by realizing God's presence. And James and Dina 
your marriage will be the same. You will find confidence to take up the responsibility uh, of leading uh, a family that is no small task, but you will take confidence in understanding that um, resting in God's promises and obeying his principles and living in his presence. May God bless you as you endeavor to do that. A couple months ago, our family received an invitation to attend this wedding. And on the invitation is a sketch showing two airplanes with a dotted line indicating their flight path. And my assumption is that these two planes somehow represent James and Dina. And you didn't have to look at that sketch too long until you realized that there were some pretty serious ups and downs in their flights up until this point. But I found it noteworthy as I looked at that, that the planes at this moment were both headed in an upward position. I'm not sure, maybe they're headed for cloud nine. <laughs> I think at any rate, the indication is that they're headed in a good direction, there are higher altitudes ahead, and there are better things to come. James and Dina, I'm happy to be here. And I'm glad your planes continue to head upward. I'm calling the message this morning, Flying High Together. When I lived in the Canadian bush, I was in a setting where there was a lot of flying done by small bush planes. And I had a friend there who did not have his pilot's license, but he had done quite a bit of traveling by plane with other people, pretty familiar with flying. And one day he commented, he said, I, I would be fairly confident in taking off in an airplane, and I'd be very confident with flying it, but I don't think I could land it. And I told him, well, if you can get the plane up, I'm sure I could get it back down again. <laughs> there are a lot of marriages that experience some very erratic flights, some pretty serious ups and downs. In fact, every marriage experiences ups and downs. You cannot avoid that. That's inevitable. Sometimes it comes sooner. Sometimes it comes later. I have a friend who told me about a disagreement he got into with his wife on their honeymoon about where they were going to eat a meal. He wanted to go to one restaurant and she wanted to go and have some fish and chips. And they couldn't agree. And finally he gave in. They went and had their fish and chips. And he said there was two advantages to that. He said, first of all, by the time we ordered and received our food, my wife felt so bad about the disagreement that she totally lost her appetite. So I got two meals instead of just one. <laughs> he said the second advantage was that as life went on, every time she saw, saw the fish and chips, she remembered that occasion and she never wanted to go there again. So I never had to go back to fish and chips again after that. Disagreements will come, but there are a lot of marriages that not only have their ups and downs, they have crash landings, and that is not inevitable. That can be avoided, and I'm confident your goal is to have a smooth flight, 
do everything you can to provide for that smooth flight. I'd like to look at three aspects of a, mem of a memorable flight. Anticipation, preparation, and recollection. Part anticipation, preparation, and recollection. The first two points, I'd like to draw some spiritual parallels. And then on the last point, uh, look at some comparisons between... Uh, well, the first point is look at some comparisons with Christ and the bride, his church, and then the third point, get a little more practical in some of our earthly relationships. Anticipation. I think most of us know what it's like to anticipate a marriage. If we haven't experienced it, we've observed it. A hundred days ago, James and Dina started a countdown till today. A hundred days ago. Three months ago. I mean, that was back in May. What's the point? It was anticipation. That was the reason. Today is September 1st. Two days ago, we were still in August. I told James, I said, you know you have to wait till next month to get married. He didn't like the sound of that. He thought two days sounded much better than next month. Why is that? It's the anticipation. Anticipation is very real. And it's a very vital part of the marriage experience. I think every marriage should uh, be anticipated. But I wonder, what about our heavenly marriage that we have to look forward to? What is our level of anticipation for that grand and glorious day, which is to arrive? And as I understand the tradition of Hebrew weddings back in the days of the New Testament, during the betrothal period, this young couple, the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be, were committed to each other. And yet, when this commitment took place, they were separated, sometimes by significant distances, as the groom-to-be would go back to his home. And they would be separated for an extended period of time in which you would not see each other. And during this time, the groom had two responsibilities, primarily. One of them was to pay the price of the bride, Sometimes we call that the dowry. Pay the price. And the other was to prepare a place for his bride. And when these were taken care of and everything was ready, the time for the wedding came. The groom would be accompanied by his attendants and with great fanfare, sometimes with trumpets and torches, he would go to receive his bride. The bride and the invited guests would be brought together to the home of the groom for a great feast. Today, those of us who are Christians, we have accepted the offer of the groom to become his bride. We have made a commitment to be his. We are not yet in his physical presence, but we can look forward to that moment. Sometimes the groom, Christ, may invite someone to be a part of his bride. They may reject the offer. Can you imagine the rejection a young man would feel asking the woman he loves to become his bride? And her response would be, well, I, I really have some other interests that are more important at this point. I'm not ready to give those interests up, so my answer is going to be no. Can you imagine his rejection? Or if she did commit and did not remain committed to that 
promise. Can you imagine the heartbreak that Christ feels when we do not accept his offer, when we do not remain committed to the promise that we made? Remember I said the groom has two responsibilities during this time. The one is to pay the price. Christ has already paid the price. The price has been paid in full with his blood. There are no outstanding obligations. Our groom is free to come and claim his bride because the price has been paid. As far as the place, it's being prepared. The place he is preparing is far beyond our dreams. I don't know what your dream home is. Maybe you've had to realize that some of your dreams may not be attainable in this earth. But when it comes to meeting our groom, none of our dreams will be disappointed. In fact, they'll be far beyond anything that we ever dreamed of. Christ is coming for his bride. Do you long for that moment? Do you anticipate hearing that trumpet blow, hearing the sound, the bride is ready to see him in all his glory? I'd like you to picture a young Hebrew bride and groom-to-be, and he is ready to leave to prepare the place, to pay the price, whatever needs to be taken care of, and her heart is somewhat troubled. She doesn't know how long he's going to be gone, and maybe there's a few doubts in her heart. Are, are, are you really going to come back for me, or is this just a dream? Are you sure you're coming back? And she asked him some of these questions, and he gives her his response. Would you like to hear what he says to her? You may, because you are the bride-to-be, and this is his response. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What an exciting wedding passage. A personal message from our fiancé of what we have to anticipate. Are you anticipating your wedding day? Are you looking forward to that moment? Can't you almost imagine the trumpet sounding right now, hearing the shout, the bridegroom is coming? I remember quite a few years ago, hearing Lester Miller make this, the comment. He said, you know, when, when that moment comes, when we are gathered up to meet Christ in the air, he said, if I had my choice, I would like to be in a cemetery at that moment. I just think that would be an interesting place to be, to see all those graves open up. Well, I don't know. If I had my choice, I almost think I'd like to be at a wedding. It seems like that would be pretty appropriate. I mean, after all, if, if Christ, if the Lamb of God gave his life at the time of the Passover, why wouldn't he come back to claim his bride at the time of a wedding? Just a thought. 
Now, I know James and Dean are probably thinking, oh, not, not yet, not today. Uh, give us at least a couple weeks. And that's normal. But I can assure you, if you're ready to meet the bridegroom, there will be nothing that you ever experienced or anticipated that will be, that can even equal that. It will be lost in insignificance. Anticipation. Are you filled with anticipation today? What about the preparation? Physical preparations. A lot of preparation went into today. It started months ago. Invitations were sent out. Places were lined up. People's schedules needed to mesh. As the time got closer, the activity increased. Food was bought, prepared. Clothing was bought, sewed, prepared. Decorations were put up. Scurrying back and forth, remembering this, remembering that. A lot of preparation went into the day. And sometimes we get so occupied with preparing for our wedding that we forget to prepare for our marriage. Let's remember that the wedding is not our destination in this flight that we're taking. It's only a terminal, perhaps a layover, that we're flying through on the way to our destination, which is a happy, lifelong marriage that honors God. What about the spiritual preparations? Now, I said earlier that one of the groom's responsibilities was to prepare a place for his bride. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So he is making preparations. Are there any preparations necessary on the part of the bride, on the part of the church, on our part? Revelation chapter 19 says, the marriage of the Lamb is come. Looking forward to what we have to anticipate. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. So there must be some preparation on the part of the bride as well. Matthew 25 is the account of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. What was the difference? The difference was simply in one thing, the preparations that they had made. Five were prepared and five were not. Are we prepared for that wedding? James and Dina can sit here and relax today because of all the preparations that were made beforehand. They know that the tables are set. They know that a place is prepared. They know that there are people ready to carry out their responsibilities. Today, they can enjoy their day. The bridegroom is ready. He's waiting for that word. Jesus, go and get your bride. The question is, is the bride ready? Are you ready for your wedding? I'd like to consider one more point. Looked at the anticipation, the preparation. Now I'd like to think a little bit about recollection or simply remembering. On our wedding day, we were given a lot of advice. Advice from parents, relatives, aunts, uncles, even nieces and nephews that were already married and had a few words of advice for us. The most pointless advice, or the advice that I thought was the most pointless on that day, was given to us by the man that married us, Bill Mollett. 
At the end of the wedding, we were standing in the back. He walked back the aisle. He came back there and he met us. He looked at us. And he said, never forget, you are married. You are married. You are married. Never forget that. And I thought, what a worthless piece of advice. As if I'm ever going to forget that I'm married. I mean, this is one of the most momentous days of my life, and you think I'm going to forget that I'm married? And I didn't forget it. At least, not for a while. But after some time went by, some weeks went by, some years went by, I found that things started to change. You know, right at first, I took good care of my bride. I opened the doors for her. I called her every day from work. As soon as I could get off the job, I rushed home so we could spend more time together. But after a few days, I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm more forgetful than I thought I would ever be. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget that I am married. Sometimes I got pretty busy at work, and I forgot about my wife at home. I found that when archery season came around, I could get pretty forgetful. Or maybe I had a project I was working on at home. And I'd forget that my wife is trying to put the children to bed alone. I got pretty forgetful. Suddenly, Bill's advice became pretty personal. And I found that I needed to remind myself, I am married. So James and Dina, I'd like to pass that advice on to you. Recollection, remember. Lord willing, in a few minutes, you will leave the sanctuary married. You will be married. Your lives will never be the same. You will belong to each other. I don't expect you to forget it tomorrow or next week. But after a couple months, after a couple years, things will change. When I turned 33 years old, I was showing no signs of getting married. And I think it was the day of my birthday, my 33rd birthday, one of my friends told me, said, Nate, if you want to follow the example of Jesus, you need to get married this year. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. Jesus never got married. This person went on to explain. He said, you see, Jesus was 33 years old when he laid down his life. And they had a point. Getting married... And this is not a joke. It is giving your life away. It is laying down your life. And furthermore, I thought, well, you know, that's the age at which Jesus was when he paid the price for his bride. He paid the price. He gave everything he had. So, yes, it was a good example of Christ. And today, you're giving your lives away to each other. You may be receiving a spouse but even more, you are becoming a spouse. And I challenge you, don't forget that. There will be times when you get tired of giving a listening ear or assisting with this or that, a helping hand, a compassionate spirit. You might feel sometimes like you have nothing, nothing left to give. And at those times, you need to remember that you are married. 
And you need to remember that all other earthly relationships need to take second place to this relationship with mom and dad, brother and sister, friends, flying buddies, whoever it might be. Dina, you walk down this aisle with your father. You plan to walk back out this aisle with James. There's significance in that. There is a change of allegiance. There's a change of loyalty. James, Dina walked down this aisle with her dad. She plans to walk out with you. You have a new responsibility. Don't forget it. Look forward to that. One more thing to remember. Life does have its ups and downs, and you will have some ups and downs. And when you do, I'd like you to remember that you are not alone. There's a story of a pastor who was on a flight between church conferences. And as they were flying along, the warning light came on that said, fasten seatbelts. He thought that wasn't so unusual. A few moments later, a voice came over the speaker that said, we're not able to serve beverages at this time because we're expecting some turbulence. They continued to fly. And later, another voice came over and said, we're sorry that we will be unable to serve a meal. The turbulence is still ahead of us. As the pastor looked around the aircraft, it was obvious that some of the passengers were becoming a little bit apprehensive. What about this turbulence? And then it hit. That great plane was left like a cork, tossed around on a celestial ocean. One moment the airplane was lifted on terrific currents, the next it dropped as if it were to crash. The pastor confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of many of those around him. Many were obviously alarmed. Some, apparently, were praying. He says, then I suddenly noticed a little girl. Apparently, the storm meant nothing at all to her. She had tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on her seat. She was reading a book, and everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she would close her eyes and rest. Later, she would read again, straighten her legs, pull them up again, but worry and fear were not a part of her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm when it lurched this way and that, when all the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. It was not surprising, therefore, that when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark, our pastor lingered to speak to the girl whom he had watched for such a long time. He commented about the storm and the behavior of the plane. He asked why she had not been afraid. The child looked at him and replied, I was not afraid because my daddy is the pilot and he is taking me home. The storms will come. There will be ups and downs. And I encourage you to remember who your pilot is and let God fly this plane called marriage. Give him control and remember where he is taking you. The wedding is not your destination. The marriage is the destination. And you haven't reached that destination yet, but God is your pilot. Your destination is to glorify God 
in your marriage for as many years as he gives you. James and Dina, fasten your seatbelts and prepare for takeoff. May God bless you with a good flight. Well, that was very well done and uh, appreciated and can relate to those words of instruction and exhortation. Well, today has been well announced and prepared for, and uh, you are here because you were invited, and yeah, there's lots of uh, spiritual pictures that come into place there. And furthermore, um, James and Dina have... Um, committed to a large extent, have shown and exhibited commitment in preparation for today for their marriage and have done well in doing so, and I commend them for that. I think there's a part of all of us, because of our presence here, there's a, a point where we're committed to walk with them and to encourage them and bless them and, and uh, serve them and help them as we go along life. I certainly want to be a person like that. This wedding has also been well publicized and there's not been any reasons given that we shouldn't uh, proceed with, with the marriage ceremony. So James and Dina, if in honor of your request to be joined in marriage, I invite you to come forward. Well, James and Dina, we rejoice with you and God's leading in your lives. As you enter marriage, you'll discover that each of you are very human. And to live together as husband and wife requires the exercise of patience and forbearance. Don't let a day pass with misunderstandings between you. Be sincerely honest and courteously frank with each other. Read your Bible and pray together. Establish your family altar, which will deepen your love for Christ and for each other. Look beyond yourselves and live for Christ and his kingdom. James and Dina, do you believe that marriage is an ordinance instituted of God and confirmed and sanctioned by Jesus Christ and that one must enter there, must therefore enter into it in the fear of God? I do. James and Dina, do you confess and declare that you are free from all other marriage relations and engagements whatsoever? I do. I do. James? Standing by your side is Dina Schrock. She is to be your wedded wife. In your conduct lies her happiness. She will look to you for strength and leadership. She is giving you one of the most sacred things under heaven, namely a woman's life and love. Your continued exercise of love and courtesy will keep her one to your heart. James, will you in the presence of God and these witnesses take Dina to be your wife? Will you love and cherish her? Will you provide and care for her in health and in sickness, in prosperity and in adversity? 
Will you share with her the joys and sorrows of life? Will you exercise patience, kindness, and forbearance toward her? And live with her in peace as becometh a faithful Christian husband. And forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live. Dina, standing by your side is James Weaver. He is to be your wedded husband. In your love and life lies his inspiration and help. He is going to look to you for encouragement, cheerfulness, and confidence. May your life be the inspiration and your love the protection that he needs as a Christian husband. Dina, will you in the presence of God and these witnesses take James to be your husband? Will you love and cherish him? Will you care for him in health and in sickness, in prosperity and adversity? Will you share with him the joys and sorrows of life? Will you exercise patience, kindness, and forbearance toward him? Will you live with him in peace as becometh a faithful Christian wife? And forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him as long as you both shall live. I will. I invite the congregation to stand for prayer at this time, and you may join right hands. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your leading in our lives, and especially we thank you for your leading in James and Dina's life and bringing them together. And at this moment, I pray that you would bless their commitment, bless their marriage, bless their union. I pray that you would do exceeding abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think in their lives individually and in their lives as a couple and as a, they establish a new home. We commit them to you, Father, and pray that wherever they live, that the light of the gospel would come out of their home and out of their relationship. I pray that they'd be a light and a beacon of hope for those around them, people who know them or don't know them could see Jesus in their lives. I pray that their home would be a blessing for many people and a safe place for children. I pray that you would give them wisdom in each decision and things that come into their lives that they would be drawn to you and to each other. We thank you for your leading in their lives. So grateful, Father, for how you provide and care for us spiritually, physically, and emotionally. You are our all and in all. Ask, Lord, that you would just lead James and Dina, make their home and their life a blessing. We commit them to you, Father. We pray this through Christ. Amen. You may be seated. James and Dina, inasmuch as you have exchanged these solemn vows before God and these witnesses, I therefore, in the name of Jesus Christ and the church and as a minister of the gospel, pronounce you husband and wife. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit bind you constantly to each other. May God abundantly bless this union, and what God hath joined together let not man put asunder. Upon the authority of the word of God, and according to the laws of the state of Pennsylvania, you may go forth as husband and wife. Live in peace, fear God, and keep his commandments. And the God of love and peace will be with you. It is my pleasure to present to you Mr. and Mrs. James Weaver as husband and wife. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. 